Welcome back, everyone, to episode two of Radio Ryan Presents Three Ringos, A History of the Beatles. This is a WCCS podcast uh, production of Wheaton College Radio. I am, of course, Radio Ryan, your host, joined by my lovely other Ringos, uh, Tyler Finney and Harrison Zyberg. Um, this is a production of Wheaton College Radio. I already said that. But it's also a, a sort of collab between uh, our podcast, uh, Radio Ryan, and Harrison's podcast, uh, History of Music. Uh, go check it out on, uh, on wherever you find your Wheaton College podcasts. Wherever you found this, you can also find Harrison's podcast. Um, today, we are going to talk about the Beatles' first album uh, known as Please Please Me, uh, originally released in 1963. Uh, it is the debut album of what many people consider to be the greatest band in history. Uh, it's a fun album to listen to. Um, we're going to go track by track through it and talk about our feelings on the album and what we think. But first, I want to do a bit of background on this album. So at the, we talked last week about how the Beatles formed uh, and got together. Um, after they had met George Martin and signed their record contract, uh, they released uh, a couple singles, the first being Love Me Do, um, and then they released Please Please Me, their second single, uh, which each had B-sides. Um, all of these four sides would be included on the album, um, so we'll, we'll get to all of them. Uh, and they were successful. The singles uh, started to chart. People started to talk about the Beatles. And George Martin wanted to quickly capitalize on their radio success and said, what can you guys do quickly? We need to record an album quickly. And so the Beatles decided to do their live set, whatever they would play at the Cavern Club in Germany, uh, whenever they were in Hamburg. They just basically ran it. Feels very much like a live album because of this. They basically ran through all the songs that would play live, whether they wrote them or not, and they recorded this entire album in one day in about ten hours. And so they basically booked the studio from morning till night, and they got in at like uh, ten a.m. and they left at uh, like eight p.m. and the whole album was pretty much done. Um, most of the songs were done in a couple takes. Um, they did Twist and Shout last because it was the hardest on John Lennon's vocals. They did one take and they asked him to do a second one and he couldn't do it because his throat was just shot from singing for 10 hours straight. Uh, so you, you get the one take version of Twist and Shout, uh, which a lot of people really think is one of their best covers. Pretty much all the, uh, all the songs on the album were run through once or twice before they got on. They were all be songs Beatles were familiar with. They played live. There are 14 tracks, which was the norm. Most Beatles songs are anywhere from 12 to, uh, most Beatles albums, I should say, are about 12 to 15 songs, excluding the White Album, which is a double album. And that was the standard, which is why George Martin said, I need you to record some songs quickly to fill up what we think. It wasn't like today where it's like, let's do a seven song album. Let's do an 18 song album. It was the album needs to be this long and make sure you have the songs for it. It is a pretty famous cover of all the four Beatles looking down at the uh, camera, which they would later recreate but not use for their Get Back album, which we will talk about eventually. Uh, each Beatle sings on the album at least once. Uh, George Harrison sings twice, I believe, and Ringo sings once. 
Uh, the rest are pretty split between Lennon and McCartney. This album, probably more than others, features a lot of their harmony. Sometimes on songs, it's hard to tell who's singing lead or if they're just singing completely together because uh, they're so close. Out of the 14 songs, I'm going to count one, two, three, four, five, six are covers with uh, eight original Lennon-McCartney compositions. And I think there's nothing much left to do other than to jump into the songs. We're first going to talk about uh, some non-album singles that actually, should we do this chronologically? So basically the Beatles had a policy where most of the time if they released a song as a single, it would not be on an album. So they made this album and then they released some singles. Why don't we do the first album? Well, let's just jump right into the album, get to the good stuff. Uh, we're going to go track by track. The first, oh, before I jump straight into it, does anybody have any thoughts on all that crap I just said? I know I just spieled to you guys. I think you covered it pretty comprehensively. I think the fact that it was recorded in one day, um, I can't picture any other Beatles album being recorded in one day. I think it makes sense for this one, not to put it down. I just feel like it makes sense given how sort of like very lucid it feels definitely structured in terms of the songs but you can tell it also was a bit of sort of like a jam session for them just All sort right. of having fun good to go we can jump straight into the album with track one i saw her standing there a very famous beatles cover uh not a cover it's a song they wrote themselves uh this is a mostly a paul mccartney composition with some help from john lennon it's a pretty standout song. Uh, the song was originally titled 17. And as Paul McCartney has said in numerous interviews, it used to be, she was just 17. She'd never been a beauty queen, but he didn't like it. So he changed it to, she was just 17. You know what I mean? Because people didn't know what he meant. What are your guys' thoughts on this song? It was, I remember, I thought it was in the vein of the songs you listened to last week. I thought it was sort of thematically similar. But I also noticed it was the first song we listened to where there was no start-stop that we were talking about. Or it wasn't just like, da-da-da-da-da, stop, sing, music starts again. Like, no, like, just went all the way through. Which I guess was a, probably a break with the past songs that, not they've done, but other people had done that they were based off of. Yeah, I, I think that um, it's, a, it's very, it's very fast-paced. And they include a Countin by Paul McCartney. Uh, in order to make the album really feel like a show, like you were going to see the Beatles live, because nobody in England had really seen them, or in America, definitely, even though they didn't get this album in America, had definitely never really heard the Beatles live yet. So this felt like a whole concert in an album. Uh, Tyler, what'd you think of the song? Yeah, I mean, I had been listening to the song for years now. I think it's a great song. I think it's a really good choice for a song to start out the album. I think the the fact that it sort of immediately brings you into the atmosphere of the music, just going like dun 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 dun, dun and then it just sort of goes from there. Um, provides Is that how a the nice song goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It starts, yeah, it goes dun 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 dun. dun. You know, I said I did it better than them. Um, for me, it just sounded off the top the sound quality jumping from Corey men to this was an insane contrast considering the Corey men sounded like it was basically recorded through a tin can. And then this not only sounds like a more refined version of that in terms of sound, but just, I think that if there was any decent songwriting to hear in Corey men, uh, this improved upon that a lot. Um, I like the fact that, um, and this 
ended up becoming very common throughout the album, but the fact that they sort of gave space for just little guitar solos or little for like one specific instrument to stand out. There are other songs where like they'll give time for a piano part or give a part for um, a lot of other guitar parts. But even though it feels structured, I like the fact that they still allow you to take in the instrumental aside from just their vocals. Um, I don't think, I think that lyrically it's not anything amazing, um, but I think ultimately I view this album from the context of the Beatles are writing what they know. So think about the fact that they are very young at this point. Understandably, they're going to be writing a lot of love songs or songs revolving around relationships. I think of the Beatles of this age were writing about this, were writing songs that um, probably among their most acclaimed works, they're dealing a lot more with their emotional side or dealing more with uh, like drug abuse or something like that. Then it just would not have the experience that they would have needed at that point for for it to really land so i think it makes sense for them and i think this is a really nice song that's right i wrote down song meant to be performed live without knowing what you were going to say ryan or really not forgetting the history of the album because which probably meant when i wrote this down that i was sort of unimpressed with it i was just like oh because i don't know it's like it didn't strike me as i think this is one of the stronger songs on the album but i was just sort of like eh but it's funny yeah the quarry men that sat that sounded like someone hummed to you what a band that sounded like the Beatles that wasn't actually the Beatles. <laughs> so this is obviously, yeah, quality is like exponentially better, but I was just so just like, yeah, it's a good song, but like, I'll give a look. I don't think any of the song on this album breaks like top 50 Beatles best songs. Mm, that's, hot, that's valid. A hot take. I, uh, I, I love this song. I think it's a great um, intro to the album. I think it's a really fun, uh, fast paced one. Uh, Tyler, are you going to say anything? No, yeah, I mean, I'll, I think there are at least one or two on here, particularly um, one later on that I think probably would be considered one of the, like, of the many iconic Beatles songs, I think this would deserve to be up there. Um, I think I saw her standing there is a, is a very iconic Beatles song. I think it's a great one. Um, funny, funnily enough, this is the only Beatles song that every member of the band performed after the Beatles broke up. Uh, John Lennon performed it in Madison Square Garden with Elton John in 1974 in one of his very rare live performances. Uh, Paul McCartney has obviously played it a bunch on tour and George Harrison and Ringo sang it with a bunch of other musicians at the Beatles Rock and Roll Hall of Fame introduction. Even though if you watch that video, nobody but Billy Joel is trying to sing that song. Everybody's <laughs> just kind of having fun. Just like, ah, 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 and Billy Joel is really trying. Um, so that's, that's track one of Please Please Me. The second track is Misery, uh, a lesser known uh, song, a deep cut. Mm. The first time I had heard it. Yeah, first time I had really listened through, um, it was written together by Lennon and McCartney, but mostly Lennon, as you could probably tell with the vocals. To me, it sounded like a cover, uh, just because it sort of fits better with the covers than I think a lot of the other regular Beatles songs, but I think not a bad track. Any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I would, uh, okay. No, yeah, I would pretty much agree. I think that it's overall a pretty decent song. Um, Like I mentioned with the last one, I, I think the fact that it sort of allows the piano its own little time in the song to, have its own little part for people to soak in was nice. The tone of the piano was interesting to me. Um, and especially like in a song coming up too, the piano on this didn't really sound like how I expected the piano to sound. It had almost sort of like an older feel to it, more rustic, um, which I think was a bit of a nice compliment. 
Um, but yeah, I think it was overall a pretty nice song. Not anything wrote, amazing, but decent. Yeah, I wrote that it was thematically close to SR standing there because they're both love songs or sort of to do with love. I said, I wrote not really asking a lot of Ringo, which sort of I think played throughout the entire album. It was just sort of like, like Ringo is a good drummer, but it was sort of just playing like, like just hi hat and like two and four. It wasn't a, it was not a musically complicated album in a lot of instances. Yeah, I think there's a lot of songs where you have to think if this is their live set, they have to think, okay, if we're playing 14 songs in a row, we'll have a couple where everybody's going all in and there has to be a couple almost like we'll, we'll take a breather. Like we'll play this song, we'll stay on stage and everybody will still listen, but we can slow it down. Ringo can just get into a rhythm uh, and everybody else can sort of do the same thing. I, I definitely think that I wouldn't, call it filler in a bad way but it definitely feels like if you were to sit down and and build this album out of your favorite Beatles songs from this period you wouldn't really include this one it feels yeah. like a, it, it's it's fine it's nice but it's it's nothing special it, it doesn't have like a special Beatles air to it I think and Ringo was still new to the band at this point right like he was still yeah, relatively. New. relatively. If you um, listen really closely, you can hear him being like, "Can I play this part?" And then you just sort of <laughs> hear like a little, the faintest hit of a cymbal. Yeah, uh, that's not true. But um, <laughs> well, your recording's worse than mine. It is funny. Track three is our first cover on the album. It's called "Anna." Go to him. This was originally written by uh, Arthur and written and recorded by Arthur Alexander. It was a favorite of John Lennon's, and uh, they recorded it. Uh, for the album with Lennon on vocals. Uh, I first discovered this song a couple months ago, maybe over the summer. And I actually really enjoy this track. Um, I think it's got some good Lennon vocals. I like the groove of the track. It's nothing incredible. It's it's sort of a slower piece, um, but I think it's a fun one. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, for me, um, I, I I do not believe that I had heard this song before and I was thinking it through. I think of the songs in this album that that I really had not listened to before. This was probably my favorite. Um, I I like the fact that, like you said, it was more bluesy and laid back. The harmonies in the back gave it a bit of almost like a 50s doo-wop feel to it, which I thought was neat. Um, I like the fact that the guitar riff so far in this album sounded more bluesy than I expected. I mean, obviously they're still within the pop vein, but they had a nice little twang to it. Um, I also, I discovered the fact, so this is a cover of uh, a song called Anna Go To Him by a black country soul artist at the time named Arthur Alexander. And I actually listened to the original song to compare it with this. And um, it spoke to what stood out to me the most about the album is because Arthur Alexander's al uh, version, I think is excellent on its own. Um, I think it has more of a mature air to it because his voice is a little more laid back in that. And it's almost like him saying like, yeah, go to him. I've, I've let you go. But um, the reason why I think John, John's version stands out is because I think his vocals are probably the most impactful part of the album for me. The fact that even though throughout all these songs, it has this sort of pop bluesy gloss over it. He has this sort of almost like tortured, like strained voice at a lot of points, particularly in this song and in like twist and shout later on that I think lends it more, but a more, more, more dimension, I think, than I think, uh, if he had a mellower voice, it would have had. So I, I, I enjoyed his delivery of that. I, I like the song a lot. This made me like John's 
voice more. I think I've always been more of a Paul fan when it comes to vocals. And I guess not giving John enough credit as is due. So I guess that was nice. Because I hadn't heard the song before. Um, what did I write? I wrote, is this the cover? Question mark. So I guess I was right in that. But I guess, yeah, it's, um, it doesn't seem very lyrically complicated. Um, I also wrote, John's accent doesn't leave when he sings. So that's interesting. Paul's does. Paul doesn't sing with an accent. John does. Yeah, you can, you, when yeah. you hear on some of their, um, with that. on some of their <laughs> songs, it's funny because some bands you completely can't tell. I think there's certain bands where you're like, oh my God, they're British. I think the Who, you can hear that sometimes where you're like, wait, what the heck? And then some ones you're like, are like Freddie Mercury where you're like, yeah. And um, I think the Beatles have a mix of that where some songs you're like, yeah. And sometimes you forget. Uh, I think he, I think George Harrison's voice is the most not changing when he sings. And we'll jump over to George on track four, which is Chains, another cover. Uh, most people's first introduction to George Harrison. Uh, this is one of the two songs he sings lead vocal on. And we'll talk about this again next track, uh, track five. But by the fifth track on the album, you've got all four members of the band singing, which is pretty unique even for bands today. So um, even on the first album, in the first five songs, everybody has had their, their time on the lead vocal, uh, which sort of speaks to the camaraderie. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say equality because obviously Lennon and McCartney, especially at this period, were um, seen as the leaders of the band, but definitely the fairness and the yeah equality of the band, that they were very much like, let's not just hog the microphone. Um, it uh, This song, Chains, is an R&B song written by Jerry Goffin and Carole King. Uh, it was a hit for the American girl group, The Cookies, in 1962. Cookies, by the way, a lovely name for a band. That just sounds. That sounds like a '60s girl group. Like we're gonna we go never see the. Came up with. Think we have a running list of band names, and we never just said, you know, let's just pick a food. Yeah. Let's be the cookies. Let's be the, the cookies. I think the problem with naming your band after a food is that automatically there's gonna be a group of people who hate you because they hate that food. <laughs> well, nobody hates cookies. Like, yeah, it could be like the muffins. Who hates a muffin? I think there's probably a muffins band. But anyways, on topic. Let, let's talk about track four on the album, Chains. Uh, what did everybody think? I said it was um, the cleanest vocals so far, which was, I didn't know this was George singing, but I said, I re- it seems like a very classic rock song, which is weird because this is like the era of classic rock, but it seemed older. So it seemed like a bit of previous of the... It I only guess, came out a, about a year or two before it was recorded by the Beatles. So hmm. um, they are... This, this is a song that's fairly new to them. Interesting. To me, it sounded more traditional. It sounded a bit older, but I didn't really like the vocals. So it's interesting because I had no idea it was George. Yeah, I also had no idea that this was George. I also didn't know that it was originally written by Carol King. That's pretty interesting. Um, I think that for me, I think what stood out to me more than the instrumental, which honestly did not stand out a ton for me, it sounded almost more like an Elvis song than say an early Beatles song but um the fact just like the lyrics and how it was about like feeling tied down in a relationship and having feeling for somebody else I mean it sort of fits into the vein of of what I was talking about about how the Beatles were basically writing what they know so you're not going to get a lot a ton outside of like songs that are like I love you I love you so much let's twist and shout 
I love you so much, so please please me. I love you so much, but I'm in chains and I want to be with you. So, you know, I think it's a pleasant song. I don't think it's one I'd go back to a ton. Um, probably stands out in the lower tier among the album for me. But um, yeah, the fact that I didn't even know George was singing it. So there you go. It, it doesn't break top 200 Beatles songs. Yeah, I think Tyler makes a great point about the, you'll, we'll see, but it is not until the fourth Beatles album where they are writing songs that are primarily not about love. For their first three albums, pretty much every song heavily mentions or casually mentions love. It's not until Beatles for Sale that they start really thinking, let's write songs about Kansas City. I mean, they don't write it, but. Um, it's just, it's a weird brag on their part, you know? It's a weird thing to brag. Like, we made three albums full of, like, we get it. We get it. You're handsome. <laughs> I just had so many girlfriends, we've got three albums worth of songs about it. All right, let's do uh, track five, which is actually, it, it's close to, if not my favorite song on the album, which is Boys. Uh, track five on the album is Boys, another cover, and this is maybe my favorite song on the album. It's close. Uh, it was recorded by the Shirelles, um, and originally, but uh, they covered it with Ringo Starr on vocals. Uh, this is one of Ringo's favorite songs to play live. And interestingly enough for the Beatles, the song is called Boys. It's about boys, and, and boy do the Shirelles love boys. And for the verses, the Beatles changed it to be about girls, but for the chorus, they didn't. Ringo just keeps screaming that he's talking about boys. And they were like, people asked them, they're like, isn't that weird that you like boys? And Ringo's like, it's a song. I like it. I'm going to sing it by the way. That's how they wrote it. I'm going to sing it. And uh, he never felt weird about singing it. And nobody ever questioned them again. Uh, what did you guys think of this one? I said it was like a, I said it reminded it felt like it could be in a surf movie, if that made mm -hmm. sense. It was very mm -hmm. doo -woppy, but I also wrote probably the best vocals so far in the entire album even though it's not like a like it's a doo-wop song it's not a rock song but it's just very it was probably the best song so far in the album i wouldn't say that it stood out to me among the top songs of the album but i think in listening back to it the vocals definitely do do a good job of carrying it and i do think the contrast between the hook and the rest of the song is interesting i don't I seriously doubt it was some like grand commentary by Ringo Starr on like gender fluidity, but I think it's just a nice no. little spin it, on the pop it song. Just he didn't care about singing a girl's song. Um, so there we go. All power to him. Something fun about this song, if you know anything about music mixing at this time, is that you have different sounds on different tracks in the editing. Um, and on this song, apart from every other song in the album, usually the drum track is its own separate track. But for this album, because Ringo's on lead vocal and he's playing the drums while he's, he did not like overdub his vocals. He played while he sang. So the vocals are on the same track as the drums. So the drums are a lot louder. And I think they sound really good on this song because they have to put it at the same level as his vocals. Um, I love this. If you hear him, Later on, I'd like us to listen to a great Beatles live album, uh, Live at the Hollywood Bowl. And they play this song, and they play it live faster 
and it just has great energy live and you can tell i think even on the studio recording the energy especially ringo has on this one track six is ask me why uh an original after three straight covers um mostly written by john lennon um what did you guys think of ask me why my my first comment was not a huge fan um <laughs> I wrote that like it's not bad lyric, but I didn't find it musically interesting. And I was like, it's a. I was at this point, I was like, oh, it's a, it's another song about love. That's, that's the sixth one. I'm gonna break it to you guys. Every single song on this <laughs> album and for the next two albums is about love. At this, I realized that six songs <laughs> in because my comments started to get much more mean and aggressive. <laughs> I also realized how bad of a note taker I am. Cause these comments aren't good for anything. But also this was like, it was a ballad. I don't know if it was the first ballad really on the album, but it was a different type of song. But I was just sort of like, ah, oh, it's eh. Drum parts a little better. That's already, already that stood out to me for a good thing. Yeah, I liked this. Uh, I liked this song. It was okay. I think it wasn't anything special. Um, this is one of the few songs that became Beatles songs that they originally recorded with Pete Best, um, but then they kicked him out of the band and they re-recorded it with Ringo. Um, and I think it's a good song. I don't think it's anything. It's one of those songs that we've talked about before. You listen to the album and you go, oh, that's nice. But you wouldn't be like, oh, can you put on Ask Me Why by the Beatles? You'd, you'd, if you were listening to something off this album, it probably wouldn't be for this song. For me, I think this was in the zone of the album I called um, the wedding scene from Goodfellas zone because this sounds like the kind of song that would play during the wedding scene at Goodfellas, but if somebody didn't remember the exact song right. that they played. And it's a, it w it's a nice song if you heard it in the background, but you wouldn't like yeah. s sit down and listen to it for a podcast. One thing that was a little interesting to me, though, and I'm not entirely sure how intentional it was, but when in the song they say, I can't believe it's happened to me. I can't conceive of any more misery. I'm like, was that a callback to misery? I heard Probably that. Not, as, but... I actually was listening to the album again just like an hour ago, and I, I remembered that. Um, I, I don't think so. I don't think they could have planned it like that, but I think it was it, – they probably knew. Um. And to close off uh, side one of the album before we flip the disc is the title track, Please Please Me, another pretty classic Beatles song uh, that a lot of people seem to know and love. Uh, it mostly uh, a collaboration. Uh, this is one of those songs where um, John Lennon and um, Paul McCartney have um, both kind of claimed it, I don't want to get, we'll get into it more later, but a lot of the earlier songs in the early days of the Beatles, they were just like, yeah, we wrote it together. And then in the 80s, or I mean, in the 70s, John Lennon was like, yeah, I completely wrote that song. Paul didn't help me. And Paul was like, yeah, I wrote that song with John. I wrote like half of it. Um, this is one of those songs. Um, Lennon like stated that Please Please Me is uh, completely me. Um, and... Uh, Paul McCartney's been like, well, I helped him out. Um, Paul, you didn't do anything. <laughs> uh, what did you guys think of Please Please Me? I found it 
enjoyable. I wouldn't say that it stood out a ton to me among the album, but I think it was definitely decent. And I actually think that Ringo's drumming stood out on this more than most of the tracks. I like the fact that he was just sort of changing it up depending on different parts of the song. It's sort of, um, I, I was, it was at this point that I was starting to feel more of his presence. Yeah, I think I put a call and response, which is like going to be using later elements in different Beatles songs. It's the common thing that's used throughout. It is weird that they put their title track seven songs in. That's like burying your thesis five pages in, into a paper. It's just a bit weird. But most like, most yeah, album, it's either the first or the last song. Yeah, especially so just around like, this gonna, time. It's like, we want to hide this. We're going to shove it in the middle. But we're going to, it just, yeah, I was like, there were short guitar licks and other licks, which was cooler because it seemed like there wasn't many solos, even like small ones in other songs. So it's just nice to like actually see some different music. To be yeah. fair though, if their thesis is the phrase, please, please me, I feel like they'd already kind of stated that thesis like seven times by now. So I don't think it really mattered if they buried it or not. Uh, yeah, I, I like this song. I think it's, I think it's got a great hook. Um, I like the uh, the harmony vocals on it, but uh, I don't think it's uh, it's a uh, an all timer, but it, it's up there for me. Uh, okay, flipping the the vinyl over as they as they would do back in those back in those silly days. Um, we have side two, track one, the eighth song, in the album, and the Beatles' first ever single, uh, "Love Me Do." Originally a Paul McCartney composition, he sings on it. Um, we'll talk about this more as we go on, but in the early days, uh, it was Lennon-McCartney partnership, but Lennon was definitely seen as the leader of the band uh, and has on the first few albums a majority of the songs. Usually if they write 10, if there's like 14 songs, Lennon's usually the lead on eight or nine. Uh, as we go on it, gradually shifts to the middle and then gradually shifts towards McCartney. But um, it was interesting that uh, to me that Paul McCartney gets the first ever single for the Beatles, uh, which is Love Me Do. And what did you guys think? Is this song... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I I said that... I I was like, oh, Paul's singing again. That's nice. I said it wasn't his best work, but it was just nice to hear him again. It also, it seemed... I wrote harmonica... So that's a great note to have. But um, yeah, it seems slower than I remember, but it was definitely the most interesting vocally that we saw on the album so far. And you could tell it was supposed to be like played live. Like you'd tell it was like participatory. Is this song simple? Yeah, sure. Is it really likable? Yes. And I'll tell you the key to it is the goddamn harmonica. It's like having a nursery rhyme, then you have Stevie Wonder play the harmonica over it. The harmonica in this song is the best instrument on this album. It is so freaking Spicy take. Um, Spicy. I'm less hot on this song than other, as we've, we've probably demonstrated, we're all high and low on some of these songs. I'm lower on this song than average. I just... To me, it feels very like it's all sit together and sing this song around a campfire. <laughs> and it's, it's not my favorite, but I do like it. It is very charming. And the harmonica, as Tyler very well put it, is very, is very endearing. It's like Would the harmonica be- man himself, Billy Joel, is playing on this album. 
<laughs> exactly. Would this be a top 50 Beatles song? No. Would the harmonica be a top 50 Beatles song? Yes. At the harmonica end- top 50 Beatles musical moments, maybe? <laughs> at the, yeah. At, at the end of this this podcast, we're all, after all the talk we're putting in in the first album, we have to each make like a top 50. We have to rank that. all of the songs. Rank it's all like the songs. 125. Easy. Um, Easy. After I can't that, wait to find the worst one. We have um, P.S. I Love You, another McCartney song. Um, primarily written and sung by uh, Paul. Um, what did you guys think of P.S. I Love You? I found this overall pretty enjoyable. Um, it has sort of like a breezy vibe to it. And I feel like I've, I sort of realized why there's really not much percussion in this song. Like Ringo's absent from this. It's pretty much... Um, I think I detected like wood blocks in like in the background. So it has almost sort of like a springtime feel very airy. Um, I thought it was pretty nice. So story about this. Actually, they locked Ringo out of the room as a practical joke. (laughs) Then they lost the key and they're like, we have to record the song. George is getting George Martin's getting mad. So they just did it without him. That is so funny that you guys are both mentioning that. Uh, Ringo does not play drums on this song. This was one of those songs I talked about last week that when Ringo had first joined the band, George Martin was not impressed with his drumming. And so the drummer on PS I Love You is a session drummer, this guy named Andy White. He's playing very minimal drums. Ringo is actually playing the maracas on this song. That is Ringo's so, contribution that to That gives song. me so much joy to imagine that. Just like, hey, so I, was half, I was half right about them live them locking Ringo out of the room. <laughs> you you were you were both half right about Ringo's thing. I, I think this song's okay. Um, I definitely think it's one of the weaker ones on the album. Uh, I don't really... It's one where I will listen to it and then just sort of move on. I, I wouldn't go back to the song. Uh, but some nice vocals by Paul, and uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's decent. Uh, then we have another cover. Uh, it's called Baby, It's You. Um sung primarily by John Lennon, uh, originally written by uh, Bert Bacharach, Luther Dixon, and Mark David. Uh, it was another Shirelles cover. The Beatles, as you could probably tell, were uh, pretty big fans of the Shirelles. They really liked their songs that they did, and uh, they did a lot of them on their own. And I think they met them and or the Ronettes, but I don't remember. Um, I don't want to confuse them too. What did you guys think of their cover of Baby It's You? Uh, yeah, I think that the harmonies definitely carried this one. It's a, it's a very simple, pretty repetitive song. I'm not going to claim it's anything especially elaborate, nor do I think they're really aiming for that. But um, I was surprised there wasn't more George involvement in this because it almost feels like a very, it almost feels like the demo for like, especially George's later solo work. Like I can feel like a, like a little bit of like a My Sweet Lord vibe in this a tad. Interesting. I think for me, the, the impression over a lot of these songs is just like when they, try, when they try something, it's good. It just seems like they're cautious. This just mm-hmm. seems like they're cautious. Let's not go too fast. Let's not try anything crazy album. We'll just, it's like all sort of formulaic. It's different styles, but sort of just like we know what people are going to buy. 
So that's like the best parts is when they try something, which I think you see a little bit in this song, a little bit in other songs. Like that's like, oh, that's the Beatles. The rest is just sort of like, oh, these are, they still sort of seem like a really good cover band. Mm. Yeah, I, I, covers are really common in this period of time. It's very rare to find an album of someone's original material completely through, um, unless you were like a jazz player. And even then you probably cover a lot. Um, after that, we have our second and final uh, George Harrison vocal on the album, uh, Do You Want to Know a Secret? This is, as far as I know, the only time Lennon-McCartney wrote a song for George on this uh, maybe once or twice after this, but primarily from the second album on, most of George's songs that he sang on were his own. Um, but this one was not um, written by uh, George. It was written mostly by Lennon with some help from McCartney. Lennon said in 1980 that he gave Do You Want to Know a Secret to George because it, quote, it only had three notes and he wasn't the best singer in the world but added, he's improved a lot since then. Um, so what do you guys think of Do You Want to Know a Secret? I wrote down the words, it's fine. That's all I wrote. I put another <laughs> love song in an it's fine. Yeah, I thought, it was, I thought it was okay. It's interesting that you say that George himself didn't write it. I think for most of the song, I would agree. But for the first, like, 10 seconds or so it doesn't sound like anything else on the album it has like a weird like almost western vibe to it of like do you want to know no, no, no. and it has like a weird like a like a western guitar like do -do -do -do. like it's almost sort of inviting you into a saloon or something and then it becomes a little bit more of a conventional song but i i think it's an enjoyable song i don't think i'd go back to it a ton um i think that um it's nice to give george this opportunity sort of have his own lead vocal thing but i think he'd refine that more in songs that he wrote right he'd, he'd probably also find it insulting to be like he was given the opportunity to sing in a band that he's an <laughs> equal part of yeah well to be fair it was sort of the john and paul well, show for that's and, it, and to Taylor's point in in most normal groups even today and we talked about this earlier when you're the lead guitar player in the group you're the lead guitar player what you do is you, you play lead guitar I don't think it was a sense of, in this song maybe, but I don't think as a band they were like, here you go, George, you can sing. It was probably like, let's all sing. And they were all like, yeah, sure. Um, then we have uh, another cover, A Taste of Honey uh, with McCartney on vocals. Uh, I have to be honest, this is probably my least favorite song on the album. Really? I, just, I just don't really care about the song at all. But I said... I'd like I to hear your the, impressions. I said this was the best song so far. Wow. So I may, it may have changed as I wrote notes. I, th I think vocally. I didn't think it was musically, I guess, as interesting as other songs. Like, it didn't really sound unique, but I think it was the vocally strongest to this point. Mm, interesting. What do you I, think, Tyler? I am somewhere in the middle. I, I, I do like the song. I don't dislike the song. I... So this song is sounded pretty strange to me, not in general, but more in relation to the rest of the album. It sounded almost like something you'd play over like an like a like an old folk tale of like Peter Rabbit or something walking through the woods. Um, like it just felt a lot older. Like it felt like a song written in like 1903. It was written Who do you in think it Peter was Rabbit is. <laughs> <laughs> it was written in 1960 for a Broadway musical. Um, 
Interesting. And it's become sort of a pop standard. Yeah, I, I think Paul has some great vocals on this track. I like the harmonies. But I, I'm not, as as you may know, and as we will probably learn as we go on, I'm not a huge ballad person. I don't really like when songs are slow and sort of gentle like this song is. Um, that does not bode well for the song yesterday. <laughs> um yeah, I think I think it's an all right cover, but um, I definitely feel, for me personally, the second half of the album has has less weight to it than the first. And this this is when I sort of hit that slog. Like, I kind of want to just get to twist and shout. Can we can we get there? Um, and that was the entire album for me. I was like, can we get to twist and shout yet? Um, the penultimate song is a Lennon-McCartney composition, the last on the album, called There's a Place. Um, they share lead vocals, uh, and they co-wrote it. Um, and uh, George Harrison sings back up on it. What would you guys think of There's a Place? I enjoyed I guess, it. Um, I, I said I, Paul and John's voices, they're playing to their, they're playing to their strengths in this song. And harmonica again, so that's cool. I wish we got that all harmonica, that all harmonica Beatles album. Then they really would have fulfilled their potential. But that's like, okay. Um, <laughs> exactly like that. Yeah, that Don't cut, I'm, I'm cutting that out. Nobody gets to hear that horrible, <laughs> horrible. For people who didn't Come hear on. it, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I'll leave um, it. In. I'll leave it in. But I wish you didn't do that. um i think the song especially had nice vocals from john like i said the highlight of this album for me aside from the harmonica and love me do is john's vocals um i think especially and i think it might have been the bridge but i may be mistaken but where he goes in there's no sorrow like i feel like he just sort of hit a nice little emotional crescendo there um that would build to its perfection in love me do and not i might love me do uh twist and shout so it's pronounced right musical croissant. Ah. Get the lingo right if I do a podcast <laughs> about music. Um, without further ado, let's jump into the final song in the album, a cover of the Isley Brothers' Twist and Shout, many people's favorite song in the album. Best song. I would say it's, I would say it's my favorite, Tied with Boys. Um, very classic Beatles song, popularized, I would argue, even greatly. Uh, by uh, Ferris Bueller. Um, I think this is, uh, as we learned earlier, this was done in one take, uh, and this was at the end of a 10-hour recording session, so Lennon's vocals were pretty shot. Uh, I think it's it's probably my favorite John Lennon vocal from the first two albums, maybe three. Um, it's got such energy. It feels great. Um, what do you guys think of Twist and Shout? Um, yeah, this is, John, this is definitely my favorite song in the album. Um, and I, I think John's vocals here are brilliant. I love how strained they sound. I looked it up. The reason why his voice sounded like that, you may have mentioned it, was because he had a really bad cold the day oh, that they recorded true. this whole album. And I think that really, really, really pays off here. It gives the song a huge injection of energy, um, especially when he goes, take it, take it, take it, which I think that John Hughes realized when he made Ferris Bueller. He's like, of course, a huge parade of people would dance to this song. It's twist and shout. So I, it's a banger, best song in the album. This is 
this is yeah if the rest of the album sounded like this then cool it's still not a bad album but this is like the peak it's this is the best song like it's it's sad that they put it last but it makes it sense sense because you sort of forget the rest of the album um ringo finally has something to do that's nice it's not just like (laughs) it's like actually like playing and also ferris bueller i was so disappointed when i was like that has to be matthew project actually singing it (laughs) I, it I thought that as a kid. I thought that as a kid. I was like, he's such a good, because he's actually a good singer. He's like been in Broadway musicals. And I was like, it's not him. Well, this movie's a lie. Yeah. What? Once you, you once you, you know? turn like 12 and you watch the movie again after hearing the song, you're like, oh, that's just, that's just a, that's just the exact song. As soon um, as you turn 12, you're also like, why are all those people backflipping from nowhere during this parade? <laughs> yeah, but I don't mean this to be a Ferris Bueller's podcast, but they actually didn't tell anybody that they were doing that. So a lot of the construction workers you see dancing to the Twist and Shout in Ferris Bueller are just regular people who heard the song and started dancing, which I that's think great. is a testament to the song. The greatest. Definitely. I think that's also like the all of the people dancing on the steps. Like I don't think that was planned either. That's like coordinated. Like they. No, I, think I think that, that was, was a, planned, but I don't know. Was it? It's up to it's up to the universe. It's up to, to Matthew Broderick. Um, that hack fraud. <laughs> so overall, please please me. If we want to go around and give it a grade on just how you feel about it, not whether don't rate it against the rest of the Beatles discography or just just in a vacuum as we tried to do today. Imagine this is you've. Maybe you're listening to the Beatles as you go. This is your first introduction. What do you think? Do you want to think that it's the greatest album ever? The worst album? You can rate it against other Beatles album. I just meant try and think about it on its own without being like, it's not as good as Sgt. Pepper's because yeah, but um, I would give it, I would give it like a, a B plus. I think it's a good album. I think it's a fun album. I would listen to it willingly, but out of dozen or so Beatles albums, it's definitely in my bottom half. You guys yeah, don't have would... to do letter grades, by the way. You can mm. do whatever you want. I'd give this um, a solid B, I would say, overall. I mean, obviously, it'd be a lot lower in comparison to other Beatles albums. I mean, just inherently, due to the fact that it's their first album, it's a lot more simplistic, both lyrically and instrumentally. Um, but I don't think there's any song on here. If I heard it, I would turn off. I think I could very easily go on a road trip and play this song. Just be like, oh, this is a nice little vibe. It's I'm a great, I, I've listened to this album front to back in the car. And it's a, it's a fun car album. Which is a good quality. Yeah. I mean, I think that obviously not every Beatles album is going to be the best car album. But I think that this, it's good for them to have that starting point that you can sort of take, this is literally the Beatles to go. You can take it with you from location to location and it can provide some level of enjoyment. It's not amazing. It has um, points that are arguably forgettable in the context of their discography, but it has some highlights too. Um, so yeah, solid B for me. Yeah, I I wrote an overall impression down. I was, I, really, I was comparing it to other Beatles albums, but mostly in its capacity, I said, you know the term like performing to capacity but not at grade level? Nope. Okay, well it's like it's an academic term where we'll be on like report cards and stuff. It just sort of felt like for me it's like they're not living up to their potential. It's like they were cautious. And for that, in a vacuum, no other Beatles albums, C plus. 
compared to other albums, C. It just like there were hints of like, oh, they're a really good band, but it just felt like let's only do hints. Let's not, not go all the way. And maybe they just they maybe they just weren't confident enough as a group yet. Like maybe they didn't have the musical skills that would develop incredibly quickly afterwards and make them great. It just sort of felt like they're good, but like I'm not gonna. I, w- I wouldn't, if it, I just listened to this album, I wouldn't be like, I have to get their second album. I'd be like, mm. oh, cool. Anyway. I, th- I think that you, with context, you could definitely tell they're focused on being a good band at this point and not being incredible songwriters. And they're just like, let's be a band. Let's play shows. Let's get s- successful. Like they're focused on having fun. They're definitely, they did their live set. So they're definitely focusing on being a live band at this point. And it isn't until really Rubber Soul or Revolver that they had time to just sit down and plan out an album and sing it. For most of, for this album, not this album because they hadn't gotten big yet, really. But for the next couple albums, as we'll see, they really wrote the album in between tours. They would just, you have, you're on, you're on tour for three weeks of the month. The next week you're in the studio. You have, they, Ringo and Paul have both said that it, the height of Beatlemania, they had one day off a month, one day a month where they weren't either playing live or recording in the studio. Um, so you can definitely see that in the early albums. That's why there's covers because they just don't have time to sit down and write 14 songs. Um, so uh, I think that uh, this is a good start. <laughs> I would be pretty happy if uh, if my first band put this out. Um, I think we'll yeah, see. The way- Go ahead. Go the way ahead. that I would the way that I would describe this album is that, especially based on its high points like Twist and Show, I think they you can hear the potential in this for them to become a better band, but I don't think you could necessarily hear this and think they will become the Beatles. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think mean, that like, will continue to be fleshed out. They were like our age when they wrote this and did this, so like. Yeah, if we did this, I'd be like, this is the greatest album of all time, but it's right. the Beatles. I was like, oh, yeah. I, I think it's it's really hard to separate this from everything else. I always think about this first half of the Beatles' career where they're doing a lot of pop songs. I think that sometimes people put that as lower than the rest of their career, but you have to think of, first of all, they don't even know there's other things you can do. This is what they know, and this is what they're doing. And second of all, if this is your, if you want to make hit songs, this is how you do it. You know, like they're the best at doing that. And I think that if you had a band and your career was just the Beatles, like touring years, like everything before Rubber Soul, that's a great band right there. That's just a great '60s hit band. Mm. I think it. I'm showing my love for Rubber Soul already, but I think once you start hitting those later albums, you start to see them expand into from the most popular band in the world to the best band in the world. Um, But I think there are hints of that here. I think songs like Twist and Shout and For Me, I Saw Her Standing There, you can see this band's going to be great. The rest of the the album, you're like, they're still figuring it out. But they have, you can hear, I think you can hear the Beatles on this album. Plus, also, you got to remember. Like, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Also, like a second. I also like just to think of it in context. Like a second album is not guaranteed. And I remember reading, I think, in the Paul McCartney biography that I talked about last episode. They were just like, 
Yeah, like a lot of performers, you perform for a few years and then the music world would be like, we're sort of done with you. Be a songwriter if you can. Mm-hmm. So that's like, they were sort of like, we probably have like a five-year shelf life if we're lucky and then we'll be songwriters and that's how we're going to make our money. So like in that context, like when this is like a second album's not guaranteed, this is a pretty good first album from like a relatively young, no, like nothing band that just sort of came out of nowhere. Definitely. Well... That's please please me. Everybody seems to feel moderately good about it. Um, I mean, I don't think this is going to be a Beatles album where we're like, that's stunk. Um, I definitely think that we are going to. I don't even know what the worst Beatles album is, but I don't think it's this. But I also don't. Interesting. I don't think it's it's later. You know what I mean? Like I I think we're gonna if we're gonna run into our our least favorite Beatles album pretty quickly. So for some, some for one of you, it might be this. Some people, it might be next week. For for me, it's probably two or three weeks from now. You know, who knows? But um, I'll tell you what. I can't wait for us to vehemently disagree about one of these albums because I think we're basically on the same page here. And I don't think any of us is going to be like this album's trash, like you said, because none of them are. Yeah, but, I think we'll we'll be disagreeing on how good certain things are. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever be like one of us thinks it's bad and one of us doesn't. I think it will be like when we get to Abbey Road, when I say this is the greatest Beatles album ever, and everyone's like, you're stupid. Um, no, please please me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's please please me. Um, really quick, let's jump into the uh, non-album singles, uh, which was She Loves You and I Want to Hold Your Hand. I feel weird just skimming through these because these are two of their biggest hits ever. These songs are what sort of catapult them into the stratosphere. Um, she Loves You is probably, I wouldn't say their most popular song like now, but it's one of their most well-known songs ever. What do you guys think? We'll start with She Loves You. What do you guys think of that one? The hook for this is super fun. I think this is a song that's perfect calibrated for a live performance i think it definitely should have been on the album i understand why it wasn't because of the release system with singles especially back then but i think this and i want to hold your hand would have fit very comfortably on here and probably boosted up the album as a whole for me i think yeah i think your point is definitely true like you can tell when we get there when the singles are written and recorded around the same time as the album, this is definitely, which is why I included on this episode, it's the please, please me era of the Beatles. And, and these songs definitely fit into the album. They just like practically don't include them. Mm. Yeah. It, this was better than like 95% of the songs on the album. And, and that's why they put it on the radio. You know what I mean? You, you, <laughs> yeah. hear, you hear their best work so you can go buy their stuff. Um, yeah, everybody loves She Loves You. Uh, I wanted us to listen to, and I think Harrison is the one that exposed me to the existence of this, but for She Loves You and I Want to Hold Their Hand, they're two biggest songs at this point. They recorded German versions of them because they mm-hmm. were big in Germany because they had just really? played live there. So I think She Loves You is She Liebt Dich. Um, and, yeah, uh, Dich, yeah. Yeah. And you can listen to it if you want after the episode. It's funny. You can actually find outtakes of it online of them laughing hysterically, trying to say all this stuff in German. And they <laughs> want, I want to hold your hand is, is less funny because you can't even tell. I can't 
have any idea what they're saying the entire time. But with she, le- it's funny when they go, "Oh yeah, she leave dick," and then you're like, "Oh, that's that's what they're trying to do." Um, but let's get let's jump into "I Want to Hold Your Hand." Um, this is the first Beatles song I ever heard, I think. Um, and this they played on their famous Ed Sullivan show appearance in 1964. Um, I remember as a kid hearing this song, I think it was so lame. I want to hold your hand. What a vanilla song. You might get cooties. Right. But just not even like the opposite of that being like, it's not even like, I love you. It's like, I want to hold your hand if that's okay. But, and it's so innocent, but listening back, I really like the song. I think it's, it's a fun little rocker. Um, What do you guys think? It's very likable. Very, very likable. Yeah. I think it's it really demonstrates the Beatles showing their understanding of how to write a very tight pop song that is able to have a really nice structure to it. Um, it has parts where it builds and then it goes down, but ultimately it's just it's just a satisfying, nice song. It's a pretty hard song to dislike, quite frankly. It's a it's a song again. It's meant to be performed live. You can tell that it's meant to be. It's a it's a crowd pleaser. Like again, it's not like it's this epic masterpiece like i don't think it's again i'm not sure if it breaks beatles top 50 songs i don't know if any i don't know if any songs maybe they do because they're not on the please please me album but i don't know if any songs in that album break the top 50 but it's like oh it's good like i'm never gonna be like oh this song like you chose this beatles song like no it's a good song i enjoy it yeah they um based on a a book they this song i want to hold your hand specifically according to brian epstein was made in the mind of we need to appeal to americans because we aren't doing well in the, the american market yet and this was this is, is famously the song that broke through in america i don't know if that's 100 percent true but um imagine yourself 1963 in america it's probably the greatest song you've ever heard <laughs> um unless you're like really into some stuff that isn't on the radio um Okay, I think that does it. We did we did a tight. I'm checking my watch, which I don't have on right now. We did a tight um, run through. Um, I had this last week, but it still applies this week. A section called further reading, which I want to try and keep doing. So don't let me forget about it. Uh, this is basically telling you how I get my stuff, everything that I don't learn from Wikipedia. Um, if you two want to go and listen to it, if our listeners want to go and find this stuff, uh, the first is. Um, Anthology One. We're going to talk about anthology as we go along, but it's basically in the 90s. Uh, Paul, George, and Ringo, um, George Martin, and a bunch of people from uh, the Beatles history got together to do the anthology project. It's a huge documentary, TV series, uh, a bunch of different stuff, and they made three albums. Um, and Anthology One is a series it has free as a bird which is an original composition we'll talk about at probably the last episode um and then it has a bunch of demos alternate takes basically all the recordings from i think the first few beatles it it's got stuff from the quarrymen it's where you guys listen to stuff from the quarrymen and i think it's got things up to maybe just before a hard day's night i think um, it's a fun listen. You can hear uh, alternate takes of stuff. 
as we go on, they get more interesting because you get to hear songs that didn't make it onto albums. And there's some anthology songs that sound really good. This stuff, you can definitely hear a lot of demos. You get to hear a lot of in-studio banter. A lot of the Beatles just kind of talking, laughing at each other between takes. It's a fun listen. Uh, the other one is an episode of a series called Serious Jibber Jabber, which was a basically a podcast before podcasts were a thing hosted by Conan O'Brien uh, a couple years ago. Shout out Conan. Shout out Conan. Um, and he had an episode with an author, Mark Lewison, who at the time was writing a three-part history of the Beatles. And his first part that they were mostly discussing covers everything – up to just before this episode. So basically last episode, but it's like an hour long and he's very in depth. They talk, they don't go through it chronologically like we did. They just kind of talk back and forth about the Beatles. Um, but they talk mostly about right before they became famous and how they got together. It's really interesting uh, if you have the time. And I think it will uh, be a good listen and I'll try and have stuff like that as we go on. Okay, your homework for next week is the Beatles second album known as With the Beatles. Uh, there are no other singles or anything we need to listen to. Uh, With the Beatles is on its own what we need to listen to. I believe it's also 14 tracks, six covers. I think it's basically Please Please Me Volume 2. So I, I prefer it a bit more, um, but not crazy. Um, we'll talk about it more when we get to it, uh, but I think it will be fun. Any, any thoughts from y'all? the name of the album being with the Beatles and I'm going to be really disappointed if this isn't the case, but I want every song to be the Beatles featuring the Beatles. Cause I don't yeah. see why else you would call the album that doesn't happen. Unfortunately, but I have never heard of this album before with the Beatles, the second album. I have never heard that name before until now. Wow. And you call yourself a fan. I thought oh, the second fan. album was a hard day's night. Hard day's night is their third album. Uh, with well, the, I've been lied to. <laughs> with the Beatles features, uh, I think, a lot of great originals. Our first George Harrison original. Um, I know there's at least one song on here I, I, I love. There's a couple songs here that you'll, that you'll know of when we get to. Um, it Won't Be Long, All My Loving, um, I Want to Be Your Man. Um, I think I don't want to spoil it for next week. I think this is very similar to Please Please Me. I think the original stuff is better and the covers are slightly worse. So it sort of balances out. But we'll see when we get there. Um, Tyler, Harrison, thank you for joining me as my fellow Ringos on my this pleasure. episode of Radio Ryan Presents Three Ringos, a history of the Beatles, a WCCS podcast, affiliate. Um, I don't know what the word of affiliate means. I just kind of throw it around. Um, but uh, hopefully you liked this episode and you can stay tuned for next week's uh, stick around and not only does she love you so do we that's nice